just uh, some feedback from last weekend. We had a team that went up to the church in London just to support them uh, in Hampstead Heath in the evening. Phil and Sam, I saw them uh, yesterday. They uh, said thank you so much for coming. It really, really blessed them. We will be taking other teams up later on, but we'll also be taking teams to Bristol as well. So just keep an eye out for the dates for those. But they just really wanted me to extend thanks to everyone who went up and all those who also prayed uh, for them and continue to pray for them. So we are going to continue in our journey through the book of Titus. Titus isn't a very long book. It's in the New Testament and there are only three chapters, but we're on week four and we're only in chapter one, verse um, six. So uh, we're not going to take that long the whole way through, but uh, we are looking at um, some of those things. But um, just to to recap, we started by looking at, um, we jumped straight into chapter two and looked at the grace of God and what it means to be saved by the by, by grace through Jesus Christ, but also empowered by grace through the Holy Spirit to live our lives as God has called us to live our lives and how he's created us to live. And then we looked at how Paul saw the, the island of Crete and encouraged Titus to do the same. That's where he was based when Paul was writing to Titus. He was in Crete and how he encouraged him to see it because he saw it with a kingdom mindset of the potential for what God had rather than what man saw. And the same goes for us as we live here in Crawley, in the UK, and wherever else in the world we might land up living one day, is that we need to see things with a kingdom mindset, not the worldly mindset, but also with the, the hope uh, of that. And then we looked at the fact that Paul goes on to speak about the qualifications, if I can put it that way, of, of uh, eldership and leadership. But in actual fact, that qualification is not to set leaders apart from the church, but to set them as an example, because actually those qualifications is basically Christian living. And if at the least, that's what we need to be. And so we're going to continue. We looked at, so last week, Fred and Vanessa were here, but um, this week we're going to continue, and we're going to look at what, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 6 but the second half. Last time we looked at the first half, this time we're going to look at the second half. And I'm just going to read from verse 5 so that you can see a little bit in there. It says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Last time we looked and we saw what it meant to be blameless or above reproach. Not perfect, but above reproach in the eyes of God. And this morning we're going to look at that second part which says he must be a man who uh, leads his household uh, or his children well and his children must be believers. If you can also turn to 1 Timothy. So 1 Timothy is what the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, who was in a different context, which was in Ephesus. So slightly different, but with the same uh, import of putting in leaders and setting things in straight. And 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, he speak, again speaking about leaders, but then as we know, that's the prerequisite for all believers, not just leaders, uh, was that in verse 4 of chapter 3, He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And so what we see is God places a huge importance on how we lead our own lives and how we lead in our own family before he entrusts us with leading his family, 
which is the church. The world looks at qualifications and, and um, certificates and all those things. God looks at the heart and looks at how you lead in your own household to how you can lead in the kingdom. And as I um, preach this this morning, uh, please be aware, I am fully aware uh, we are not perfect, I am not perfect, but there's something of God that I believe he wants us to impart and teach this morning. And so I want to look today at, if you're going to write a title, it could be biblical households or biblical parenting, and and if you are a single or or you don't have children or or anything like today still pertains to you because actually there's far the principles are the same through every aspect of our life in every area and every arena, um, but all, but specifically this morning we're looking at that, and um, so I'd encourage you don't don't close off and think well I'm not. I haven't got children, so it doesn't pertain to me, or I'm not a man, it doesn't That's not what this says. It says, actually, what does it look like to be a biblical Christian household? How are we to live our own lives, not just in our home, but first in our home, and then beyond, so that we can impact the world? You see, if we lived uh, a godly life in every way, I believe, in every area of our lives, I believe the message of Jesus would be more attractive to those who don't know him. And so often we do little things, but actually we need to look at the whole. And two of the words that came through this morning, I just wrote in my hand as they were brought. Katie, uh, part of that scripture that Katie sp- uh, spoke of was uh, something, uh, one of the lines, I can't remember what it was, but it was something along the lines of impart to others, impart to the next generation. And Andrew, one of the little words in his was uh, something that God wanted to remove that was distracting us. And I want you to bear those things in mind the whole way through this morning, uh, getting rid of distraction and imparting to others. And as we look at that, I'm, I'm aware that the world that we live in is broken. It really is. And this is not to bring condemnation on anybody, but it's merely an observation of where we're at that we need to be able to say, we have the answer, and the answer is Jesus, and the hope that we find in him. And as we put our lives completely, as we sang this morning, surrendering to him, living our lives for him, then we see how he transforms us, but through us will transform those around us, starting in our own homes and beyond. And as we look at the world, the world, uh, 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 families are broken. And if you come from, a, uh, from that kind of environment, uh, my heart really goes out to you, it really does, because there is so much pain and hurt that comes through there. But Jesus is our hope. And he can restore. And they're, they're, we live in a world with very few boundaries, where there's abuse, where there's uh, a kind of indifference to other things, and parents who are not involved in children's lives and somehow don't even know what their children are doing. Their social pressures, their economic pressures, their things of, well, this is what is correct and politically correct and not politically correct, and you can't do this and you can do that, and social media and all of those things that, that, that put so much pressure on every single one of us that sometimes we look at the world and we see there's a big disconnect between people. We, I was at a meeting a few weeks ago, not a church meeting, more community meeting, and they, they were bringing up some of the challenges that were faced around the community of Crawley. And um, the questions, some of the things we think, well, well, we've got rules, we've got regulation, there's signposts up, there are enforcement officers, there's everything. And one of the people said, well, do the schools still teach these stuff? I kept quiet, but what my heart was saying, it's not the school's responsibility. It's not the state's responsibility. It starts in the home. It's the parent's responsibility 
to bring up a generation that have boundaries, that love God, that actually even, that, that grow in the safety of that. It starts in the home. And so it starts with us. And I'm, I'm also very aware that in church communities, there are families where there's only one parent, which is, again, parenting is hard when there are two of you. It, I can't imagine what it must be like when there's only one. But God puts us in community so that in community we can help and, and, and encourage one another and help where there's lacking in some areas. And so each one of us have a role, but it comes down to the fact that it's our responsibility before God. And he says here that um, the, a leader must be a, a, a man who is a husband of one wife. And you might think, well, does that mean it's only leaders? Well, scripturally, when we look at church leadership, elders, those who are, uh, lead the church, highest authority in the church, that is male. That's what we see in scripture. But the bigger picture here for all of us is this, that he says he must be the husband of one wife. And I would say this, this means that spouses, we are those who honor the promises that we made on our wedding day. That whether you're a husband or a wife, that you honor those commitments and those promises because that reflects Jesus. You see, Christian marriage, a marriage as the Bible describes, not as the world describes, we're not even going to go there, how the Bible describes marriage is to a Christian marriage is to reflect God's relationship with the church. And so everything that we look at as those who place our faith and our lives in Jesus' hands is, what does he do? And the scriptures are very clear. He is faithful and loving and keeps all his promises. How much more should we take seriously those promises that we have made to our spouse? That's what he's saying. He must be someone who honors, respects, and holds to that. Now, I'm also aware that, and we've had these discussions in home groups and different things, where there are broken marriages, and there's, again, there's healing, and there's grace, and there's forgiveness, and all of those things. So please don't feel, I'm not condemning, I'm just saying, actually, as we live our lives from now, we need to look at what are the promises that we've made, because that reflects Jesus. When he's saying we must be husbands of one wife, it means that be faithful, be faithful in your words. Be faithful in your deeds. Be faithful in your speech. Uh, that's the same as words. Be faithful in what you do, what you look at, all those things. Last week, when, uh, last, the week before, when we looked at above reproach, be faithful above reproach. Not a hint, not an open to accusation. And, if, uh, and so if you're not married yet, then that's something you need to bear in mind. But even then, beyond that, I think it's the, the same principle is true. We need to be faithful in our relationships with others, whether they are brothers and sisters in Christ or family members or beyond. Those who trust and believe in Jesus are those who live with faithful responsibility in the relationships they have with others. Scripture teaches us to, te- to treat one another as brothers and sisters. That means we are faithful to those relationships. Standing next to, encouraging, building up, supporting, praying for, helping when there needs to be help, building into rather than tearing down, building up with our speech rather than criticize and breaking down, being faithful in every aspect of our relationships. See, that points to Jesus. That points to a different way, and that's different to the culture we live in. 
The culture we live in, really, it's all about me and myself and let me make sure everything. And if it's all right with me, then it's fine. Don't worry about you. This is what we're going to do. But actually, Scripture says we live giving our lives to him. They're no longer our lives. They're his through us. And so we need to be faithful to him, faithful with each other, faithful in our relationships, faithful with our spouse and in the promises we've made. That's what he's meaning. As a believer, that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. One who first and foremost is faithful in our relationship with him. Faithful in the promises, if you're married, that you've made publicly to your spouse. Faithful in your relationships with one another. That way, the world sees Jesus in us. That is what we call to. That's what we to be. Can you imagine how different that would look for the world if the church truly lived that? It starts with us. It starts in the home. It starts with you and it starts with me. And it's our responsibility how we lead our lives in that respect. But we need to give attention to those things. You see, if we don't give attention to it, it won't happen. Why? Because we live in a fallen world and we're human. And there's all sorts of battles that we face. But if we give attention to these things and spend time with God, first and foremost, that is the relationship that we need to build into the most, is time with God, spending our moments with Him and faithful to Him, faithful to what He said, faithful to what He's spoken, faithful to how He said we to live. We start there, then other things fall into order. If that isn't in place, we haven't got much of a hope of living a life that reflects those things. It starts with us and Him. First with surrender to Him and then living our lives in His way. See, in the world we live in, there is such a huge attack on marriage. There really is. From every single angle. And that's not new. Why do you think Paul had to write to Titus in Crete way back then about this very thing? It might look slightly different, but there was an attack on marriage then. We'll see as it goes through the scriptures, uh, uh, through this letter, of all the different things. So the attack on marriage isn't new. Sometimes I think we think it is. Because it takes a form that we've never considered before. But the attitude and the spirit behind it is exactly the same and always has been. Because a Christian marriage is to point to Jesus and his relationship with the church. That's what we need to bear in mind the whole way through. But be faithful in our relationships. Be faithful in our commitments, in our words, in our deeds. Treat each other, others as Christ would treat us. Invest in those things. Then as we read, it goes on to speak about the, the, the husband's or the, uh, the father's relationship with his children. That he must, his children mustn't, must be believers and mustn't be given to the accusation of being wild. And in 1 Timothy 3 it says, um, the Christian household, the dad must, be, must manage his household well. The interesting thing about that is that that word manage is translated differently in other areas of scripture. And the one area that is translated in, uh, in the New Testament, it's translated not as manage, but as careful. It's the same word that is used when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan cared for 
the man he found on the side of the road. And he cared for him and it cost him. He was attentive to the man's needs. And if you don't know the account, the, 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 the parable is this, a story that Jesus told in order to just, uh, this, uh, teach a principle. This guy was on the road and traveling and he came into the hands of robbers who beat him up and left him on the side of the road. And certain religious people walked past and walked the other side and didn't do anything. And then the Samaritan who was supposed to be an enemy of him, the one that was untouchable from that man's perspective, went over and took him, put him on his donkey, took him back to an inn, paid for his care, looked after him, met his needs, and said anything that is needed to look after him, charge to my account on his behalf. And that's to show how we to live, but also to show how Jesus is. And so when we look at this, it says he must manage his household well. It's the same word. He must care for. In other words, sacrificially. It cost that Samaritan. He was attentive to the needs. He took responsibility for this person. And what he's saying is that As men, if I can talk to the men this morning, we need to shoulder the most responsibility in our households. That's not sexist or old-fashioned or anything else. It's biblical. It's what we need to do. It doesn't mean that we don't have wives and ladies that come through who are strong and very capable. We do. My wife is incredibly capable. My two daughters are incredibly capable and very strong. And that's good. But my responsibility is to shoulder most of the responsibility, to lead out in front, to carry the burden, to to be the one who who takes the first hit. But I take the responsibility for that, to go ahead of, to take initiative, to carry the weight, exercising that strength that God has given us, but also being vigilant, not just physically, but spiritually as well, being vigilant about our families. And he says that he must manage his household well. And some people would read that word well and think, well, that's quite a low bar. I don't think it is at all. I think what it is, is it it gives us a glimpse of God's grace. Because it doesn't say he must manage his household perfectly. We all look at that and think, well, that's impossible. He says, well, that means it gives us a glimpse of God's grace for us. Knowing that sometimes we do mess up and times they go through that are really hard and feels like we might be failing, but it's recognizing that and going to God and gaining his strength to lead and to live well. So that one who who manages well is one who's not perfect, but who is fruitful and improving And if it falls back, we go back to God. And in his grace, he empowers us to live out our lives in a way that point to him. You see, one of the key things I feel God wants to bring this morning and and just confirm through the word is that about a distraction. I think for every single one of us in our lives, especially parents, especially fathers, but every single one in our relationship with each other, in our relationship with God, there's this one thing, and that is being attentive. I think there is an absolute tragedy that we live with constantly, day in and day out, and that's the tragedy of distracted parents. You could say the tragedy of distracted humans. 
out of everything in the world, what is the one thing that most big companies are vying for? What is the one thing that everything seems to be pushing for, including the little things you carry around, is our attention. Companies pay a huge amount of money to grab your attention. Years ago, I used to work uh, as a designer in advertising and the different parts. And at one point, it was... And everything about what we did was to make sure that when you walked through a store, when you sat at home looking at the TV, when you were paging through a magazine, we got your attention before anybody else. And it hasn't stopped. In actual fact, it got worse because that was pre web that's how old I am <laughs> everything around us social media advertising TVs um, even just the fact that you have a phone there's everything is fighting for your attention and what happens is this is that so many live distracted and that's the word that came through this morning God wants to highlight something that is a distraction and remove it from our lives so that we can live attentive, first and foremost to him. First and foremost to him. And see, that is so counterculture. I was reading an article the other day where I can't remember what the group was called, and probably a good thing because I don't think it was a, I don't think if you followed where it went, it wasn't that great. But people pay huge amounts of money to go away on a course. At, a, at some venue up in Suffolk, I think it was, to learn how to reconnect with people. They're, when they arrive, they're allowed an hour on their devices to send a message, close down everything else, and then all their devices are locked in a safe for the two weeks. And they reckon it's only a few days in that people start to learn again how to talk face to face. That's the world we live in. It's a scientific proven fact that you can actually only concentrate on one thing properly at a time. You might be able to do lots of things at the same time, but you can only concentrate and take in one thing at a time. And the world is sending messages all over. And he says that we need to manage our households well. That means we need to be attentive. We need to not be distracted by the world and the things around us. Not be distracted by phones. Not be distracted by those things that shout loudly or those things that we really like doing. And, and actually hope that if we just carry on, someone else will sort out the mess. I'm amazed at how many parents... Not in this church, I don't think. But out there that I've had, have, have had encounters with some of you where they have no idea where their children are. Or what the children are getting up to. And then we blame the government for the state of the society we live in when it's our responsibility for our children. And God says, manage your household well don't be distracted, but be attentive. You see, when we are attentive, then we can be responsive, and we can be proactive, and we can take initiative, 
and we can be involved and engaged and accessible to the lives of our children, to the lives of those around us. But I'm responsible for my children just as much as you're responsible for yours. And Scripture says that we are in part responsible for one another. So actually you're responsible for each other in some way before God as well, to encourage, to build up, to, to walk alongside. So how do we do it? It starts with our relationship with God. Everything. Ask my home group. We have, so I ask questions in our home group. I think they're fairly simple. Lisa tells me they're not. And the home group always just sit there for a bit, and I don't mind silence. And they usually say, it must be Jesus or the Holy Spirit. That has to be the answer. And it is rarely, but um, it starts with our relationship with God. How attentive or distracted are you in your relationship with God? Can I give you a challenge this week? And I can talk like this because you know me. I write on paper. I don't type much on the computer. Not because I don't like them, just my brain works quicker on paper. And if you ever visit me, I, I, I even write with quill pens still. So I'm not backward, I'm just a bit odd. If I can challenge you this week, your devotional times this week, put your phone and and tablet and computer and everything else in another room. Read a paper version of the Bible. Do you know why I say that? What's the biggest distraction? Notifications. I've got all my notifications switched onto silent, except for my three children and my wife. Because for them, I need to be accessible. I need to know. And they know that if I'm busy and I see that something, and if they just want to have a chat, then I'll send a message saying, I can't, is it urgent? And if it is, then I'll, it happened this weekend. We were in a meeting. I knew that one of my children wanted to contact me because he sent a message, are you available? So I said, I'm just in the, at the moment, I'm not, but give me half an hour. And the meeting went on and I went outside and I took the call. But our biggest distraction, really, for every single one of us is notifications. Your biggest, you might say, well, I like reading my Bible on my iPad. Probably because then you can also see between reading scripture then the bits and pieces, there's a notification from this one and the... Distraction. And you think, how can we get the most of our relationship with God? Jesus went aside before everybody else got up in the morning. He went and met with his Father. My challenge to each one of us this week. When you spend time with God this week, turn your phone off, don't use your phone. Put it in another room, put it on silent, turn it off. But give your focused attention to him. Do you know that when you do that, you probably hear him much, much better. There can be times where I can talk to someone and the, and the phone goes off and then they, or a notification goes off and they're suddenly on that. And then I can carry on talking and change the subject and they don't, not, haven't heard a thing. And you laugh, but some of you are them. But, <laughs> but it's true. How much more if we to, to, to lead our families well... It starts with us and God. 
Because I, I know this. The only way I can do anything good in leading my family is if I get it from God. Because I need him. I need to know what he says. I need to hear from him. They, the challenges that they face that I've never faced, the, the things that go on that I need to get wisdom, I need to pray for, I need to lift them up before him, and I need to hear from him so that I can help them and lead them. But if I'm so distracted, I'm not even hearing God, let alone distracted, I'm not hearing my children or my wife. How can I do that? And, and uh, spouses, the best thing you can give your children is a strong, healthy marriage. You can have absolutely nothing of material value or wealth in the world, but if your marriage is strong, your children are far better off than if you have the millions that there could be in the world and something that falls apart. Because what we invest in today, not only will we reap in the future, but they will reap in the future. What we ignore today in our children's lives will probably grow to control them in the future. We need to be attentive. And it starts in our relationship with God and then in our relationship with our spouse and our friends and our children. Let us not be those who fall into the category of distracted individuals by all sorts of things. I'm not having a go. Technology is very helpful. I use it. But let's not let it distract or distract from hearing God and being in the moment with each other. It starts at home, taking our responsibility, hearing, connecting. And that's where it begins, but it outworks beyond our own households. See, God puts us in a church family where we can be together and help one another. I can use, safely use examples that were years ago when none of you know them, and it's not to big us up, but it's just something I was always taught. And so this is, uh, there, years and years ago, there was a single mum in the church. None of you really, I think one might know of them if I mentioned their name, but no, none of you probably even remember them. Single mom with two kids, and there were two very lively boys. And they were lovely, and she was lovely. Uh, I think she moved to London and all sorts of things like that. Now, I remember Lisa and I went out with them, before, without with her and her boys, before we even had children. And while we were sitting having a picnic, I then taught the boy how to throw a ball. Why? Because he grew up not knowing that simple thing but he didn't have a dad at all his father wasn't engaged wasn't involved and so we had to say well I didn't have children but we were in the church family together so I have a responsibility let me see what I can do never parented before but I used to play cricket so I could throw a ball I didn't teach him football because I'm not very good at that <laughs> a simple example but that's our role in community with each other. To help one another. To, to help where we can the gaps that we can't fill ourselves. 
as a dad with three children, I'm so happy when I see other people investing into their lives in areas I can't. Because I don't know everything. And if I just ignore that, then it's going to be causing problems somewhere down the line because I don't know. You see, we can't live our lives just ignoring the things and hoping they'll go away. Most of you would know that if you've known me for a while, I know nothing about engines. I know how to drive a car, I can drive a car, I can ride a bike, I can drive trucks and all sorts of things, tractors, and, but I don't know how to fix a car because God's blessed other people with the desire to do that, not me. I remember when I was young, as my first job, I lived away from home, I had a car, and my dad can fix anything. He, he literally can fix anything. He can probably make anything out of anything as well. Ask anybody who knows him. And I drove from my home to the church prayer meeting, which is probably a half an hour away, and up a hill, and I saw that my, pet, my temperature gauge in my car was getting higher and higher. Now, for, for me, the solution, and please don't ever do this, because I learned, but this is an example of don't ignore, but give attention to whatever it is in your life and your children's life and your family. Because I just ignored the temperature gauge. I think, well, if I ignore it long enough and it settles down, then it's fine. I, it's on the motorway, so I couldn't stop. My normal thing is I stop, open the engine, look at it, close the engine, get back in and drive off. It's a bit like PCs. Problem, turn it off, turn it on. So the temperature gauge went up, then the temperature gauge went down. I thought, great. I ignored it. It sorted itself out. I blew the cylinder head gasket. So it actually cost me a lot. So when I got back home, I didn't know what had happened. I said that it went down, up and then went down, and I got back home, and I phoned my dad, and I said, Dad, this is what's happened, making a funny noise. This is what happened. He said, don't drive it. I'll be down tomorrow, because he lived an hour away. And my approach to him was this. You know the part you changed last week? Two parts to the left and one part down, that's making a noise. <laughs> My dad arrived, he opened the bonnet, took two photos in those days, went away to a one-hour photo place and had a coffee and came back with the developed pictures of my engine with pinprick holes in it with the names of the parts underneath written on the back because I'd wrecked the engine. If we ignore things in our lives because we don't know what to do or we're distracted by other things or we just hope it resolves itself, we run the risk of, in our lives and our children's lives, doing exactly what I did to my car. And the cost was far greater than if I'd stopped and called for help. In your life, in your family's life, what is it that God is saying, this is a distraction, this is something you need to put into place, this is something you need to adjust this is going wrong. There's a red warning light that maybe you're just ignoring and hoping someone else fixes it or it goes away or it fixes itself. Folks, Scripture says we need to take responsibility of our lives and our families and each other. So don't ignore the things that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on. Stop. Ask God for help 
Go and ask someone else for help. But do what, please, don't ignore it. If you see your children behaving in a way that's worrying you, concerning you, don't ignore it and hope it changes. It's your responsibility to lead, to show, to care for, well. There's a way of doing it badly, but there's also a way of doing it well, which is with grace and love and attentiveness and leadership and, uh, and instructing. Not, not harsh and critical, but also not ignoring. Not distracted by all these other things. And uh, parents can ask, how often... Are you, don't answer me, but consider it yourself. How often are you distracted by technology or work or other things that are taking the place of your children? How are you distracted by your own wants or hobbies or interests that is re- replacing face-to-face time with family, with spouse, with children, with others? If we don't make the adjustment... How will the world know that there's a different way? And if we don't make the adjustment based on our relationship with Jesus and the hope we have in him, how have we got a hope of ever making an adjustment? That's why we started the series looking at chapter 2, that we're saved by grace, but we're also empowered by grace, by the Holy Spirit. Not just to say no to ungodliness, but to say yes to how we to live. You see, parenting and relationships are dynamic. They're not static. It wasn't, well, the day we got married 27 years ago, that was it. And it's dynamic. It carries on. Parenting is dynamic. It carries on. Our relationship with one another is dynamic. They're not static. It's not just, well, that's it. Our relationship with God is the same. But let's not take the minimal approach of this is what I can get away with. If I just do this. See, when it says leads his household well, it isn't a minimal approach. It's a grace-filled maximum approach. So that when we make a mess up, there's grace and forgiveness and we don't beat ourselves up. We just go back to him, get help, and we move forward. But if we're to make a difference in the world that God's called us to, we need to invest in our family relationships, in our Relationships across the church and our relationships with the lost. We need to be able to teach and instruct and input and those things. Impart to others. Impart to your children. Have others impart where you lack. But it starts with us. It starts with us in our relationship with God. But if we lead godly lives in every way, we'll make the teaching about Jesus, our Savior, more attractive by the lives we live. Let's not be distracted. Let's not neglect those things, but engage and take responsibility. First and foremost, for our relationship with God and receive from Him everything we need for our relationship 
with spouses, with children, with those around us. That's how we to live. I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you that you don't leave us on our own to figure things out, but you give us not only your word, which is the, the Bible, but you give us the Holy Spirit who walks alongside us to show who you are. You give us other believers who encourage and equip and help us. But God, that through your son Jesus, you've made a way that we can come straight to you, our Father, and commune with you and ask you and hear from you through all of these ways, but we can come to you. Father, I thank you that you are attentive to our cries and our prayers. Your ear is turned towards us to hear us when we call out. You are faithful to your promises and loving to all you have made. Lord God, we thank you for that. We stand in awe of that. And we ask God that by the power of your spirit you would help us to live that out in our relationships with our families, with our spouses, with our friends, with with the community of believers in a way that we would flourish and live in the hope and the joy that we have in you. But also, Lord, that those around would be able to see you in us. And that we'd be able to make a difference in the world we live in. Not by pointing fingers, by leading by example. God, I pray for every single one of us, every single person who battles with the distractions of the world around them. Lord, I ask that this week there would be a breakthrough, today that there would be a breakthrough, so we would hear your voice clearly, we would hear when people speak, and we would engage face to face with you and with each other. Help us, Lord, that our families would grow strong and healthy, that your church would rise as a as, as a, a light to the world of what it means to be a believer and who you are. Come and help us, Lord. Father, where we failed, we thank you that there's grace and love and acceptance, that when we come to you, you forgive, you encourage, you help. And so, Lord, we thank you that there's no condemnation in you. Our lives, Lord, we surrender to you. Our families, we lift to you. The church, we lift to you, Lord. Come and fill us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. There's tea and coffee at the back and through there. If your children are in the kingdom, you need to go and fetch them. And uh, have a good week. If anybody needs prayer, please find someone to pray with you before you go. We'd love to have the privilege of doing that. But have a good week. And remember the challenge of devotionals without digitals.